0: Hello, I'm Kitten from uh, Grenoble, France, and I'm with. Uh,
1: sorry, I'm uh, Michel Hacker, also from uh, Grenoble, France, and uh, yeah, happy to be back
2: together in Stockholm
0: in Frederick's apartment.
2: Exactly. Welcome, Kitten <laughs> and Hacker. <laughs> You're back with your. Third album. Mm -hmm. The first one was called First Album, came out in 2001. The second one was called Two, came out in 2009. And the new one called Third Album is out now after a 13 year long wait. Mm -hmm. How did you get back together?
1: Uh, I think uh, we started to work again together because we were bored of being uh, alone and separated. We felt it was the right time to make music again. We, we wanted to actually, it was not a plan or yeah, you know, like it's a long time. We didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. No, we just felt like it was the right time and we had ideas. So that's how it started.
2: Was this a bit of a pandemic project or did you start before no, that?
1: before we started just a little bit before, around Christmas um, 2019. And then the uh, pandemic happened around March 2020. So, yeah, we started just a little bit before. Yeah,
0: yeah, we had already a few tracks ready. And also we had uh, uh, several gigs together uh, as DJs. And we always have so much fun. And, and we, we, we talked about like uh, getting back together and that touring together would be fun. And then when it's like that, uh, he starts composing tracks uh, kind of for us. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs>
2: how does that work? Do you both work on the like musical tracks or...?
1: Uh, We we, we worked different ways uh, depending on the album. The first album we worked in a certain way. We were always like together in the studio, I mean the studio, (laughs) my bedroom back then. And then, so the first album was made like this. The second album we worked totally separately. I was making the music and Caroline was doing the lyrics and vocals. And on this one, it was half and half. We did some tracks like we used to do, so at my studio, and we did, and other tracks, uh, we did it like separately. I was making the music, sending the music to Caroline, and she was working on it uh, on on her own. So it's a mix, yeah.
0: Yeah, but mostly we know each other so well. Michel is in charge of the music. I'm in charge of the lyrics and vocals, of course. He he interferes in my lyrics. Mm. I ask him for help or inspiration when I'm stuck. And same for the music. And then we still need to finalize the tracks separately. Yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, we finalize, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, because he he
0: has to, you know, uh, make the arrangement and Mm. the sound design on his own. And I still need to record the vocals uh, uh, clearly on my microphone and, and do all the research about effects and, and delays and all that stuff. And then uh, I send him the all the vocals uh, finished, comped, treated, and ready to pass uh, on the instrumental. So yeah. What that's I wanted to say is that yeah. we
1: did the final mix, in another studio in the south of France at a friend's place.
0: For the first time, yeah. For the
1: first time, so the final mix, you know, to do the right EQ and everything in a real studio, we were all uh, together.
0: Together, yeah, yeah. It was great.
2: Where do you live this, these days? Uh,
1: me, I'm, I'm still in Grenoble, but half Grenoble, half Lyon, with my girlfriend, which is like an hour away from Grenoble, but basically, I. Uh, Didn't really move, (laughs) (laughs) and you're still in Berlin.
0: No, I I left Berlin in 2006 uh, to come back to France. I lived in Paris, and five years ago, so 2016, now seven years, I moved to the countryside, in one and a half hour away from Paris. It's not very far, but uh, in a total remote place.
2: Yeah, where you have horses, right?
0: I have one horse. (laughs) That's enough. (laughs) And my studio as well. My my first proper real studio. So it's it's very convenient. What's
2: your horse's name?
0: Grace. Grace.
2: Do you still go out clubbing, even if you're not DJing?
0: We did (laughs) recently. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. Uh,
2: I mean, where did
1: you go? <laughs> uh, Clubbing? <laughs> no, we
0: we played not, at Bergain. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We and we were Berghain.
0: really serious, uh, uh. sober, and taking like uh, our time to be focused for the the show that we will the kind similar show we will play tonight. And after we went downstairs uh. to have a drink, and I and honestly it was our first real uh, party together. Uh, Since a a very long time, like drinking, talking to tons (laughs) of friends, staying till like 6.30, not really remembering everything. But we really enjoyed ourselves, especially after the show, to enjoy being in this club and also like performing the song in this club was so joyful. I mean, Michel, I told him (laughs) after a few tequilas (laughs) that I, I was very... Happy and very proud of what we did because after thirty years to have that uh, joy and that um, to reach that level of friendship and and you know uh, uh, connection is pretty amazing, and I think we kind of celebrated that yeah. the other night well, also
1: the thing is like and I think it's a good thing is that just before we we played we were still like super nervous, like beginners. And I think it's a good thing because once, if one day you're not uh, nervous anymore or scared, not scared, nervous before playing, it means that it, you're bored and it's over, you know? And we were very, I was very, yeah, thinking of everything, what I have to do, remembering everything. So Yeah, it yeah. was good, uh, it, good energy. Mm. So this track is uh, from Electronome a Dutch artist on the Viewlex label. And for us it's a kind, it's an old one, but it's 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 great, you know, it's a classic for us.
0: It's actually on Interference.
1: Interference, yeah, but it's the same family, let's say.
0: Yeah, it's called One Drum Computer, One Synthesizer.
1: Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What kind of fashionable and annoying man is your new song, "Omala Mod" about?
1: Oh uh, Actually, um, we, we, we got this idea because... Um, I
0: was stuck.
1: Yeah, she, she couldn't find... I didn't find...
0: know. It's the last track. Yeah. I didn't know what to do, so...
1: I had the music, very... Liaison dangereuse style. It's the oh, I love Lia- Liaison yeah, dangereuse. Uh, but it, this track is my 650 uh, uh, attempt to copy <laughs> Liaison dangereuse. Anyway, so I liked. And but she, yeah, Caroline was stuck with the lyrics. She was like, I don't know. Uh, she she tried something, but she it screamed, didn't work. And then uh, there is this TV uh, series, show, TV show, TV show called uh, Flight of the Concorde. I don't know if you know. It's it's, from re- the... it's really funny. Yeah, I love it. And in one episode, you know, they do songs in every episode. And in one episode, they do a kind of pastiche of Electroclash. And there is this track called Fashion is Danger. <laughs> it's a cool, cool, cool very name. Very cool. And in, the li- in this song, which is very good, and uh, at some point he say, I am the man a la mode which is l'homme à la mode in French. And, and so I said to Caroline, I like it. It sounds, it's funny. And let's do a pastiche of a pastiche of a, you know, like talking about fashion and stuff like that. Mm. And that's how it happened.
0: But then when he tells me a word like that, I immediately make the connection, like where, how can I take that further? What does he tells me today, l'homme à la mode? It's flight of the Concorde for him, but for me, it's like, wait a minute, men, men fashion came to the same level as woman fashion. So now in Fashion Weeks in Paris, you have both—you have men and women um, walking the catwalk together—and they are pushing this uh, men fashion a lot to uh, a point that I'm, I'm. Taking a piece of that uh, uh, business in a way. It's interesting
2: oh. when a parody becomes, you know, really you know good for real. When it's not just funny but actually a good track.
1: Yeah. No, but the, the, the actual track from Flight of the Conchords is really good. Maybe and. <laughs> And better than most of all the Electroclash stuff that was uh, 20 years ago. Anyway, but yeah, and that's where we pretended
0: took it. to be serious. Yeah,
2: pretending
1: to <coughs> be serious, yeah. But yeah,
0: yeah the, 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 the parody was better, mm. yeah.
2: Mm. I'm very fond of your song Malade, which seems to be about how romantic ideals make people physically and mentally ill. Si, oh, how, si. how did you come up with that idea?
0: <laughs> that's... Uh uh, a risk I took to sing in French, but that's one of the main thing to motivate myself to try things I've never done before. Singing in French like that on a serious matter was one of them. So I wrote this and I I was really unsure about Michel's response. But... Uh, but uh, I really wanted to speak about something yeah, more serious than, you know, suck my dick, kiss my ass 20 years ago. And then he, I, I sent him the, 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 the track and I was really surprised he, he loved it, you know, because usually when I get serious political or like to um, uh, first degree, It's never so good. But this one has no irony at all. It's maybe the only track that has no irony at all. Is is it
2: based on your own experiences, like being a victim du romantisme?
0: I I am for sure. I think we all are. (laughs) But it's also uh, inspired by what I see, what I read, Uh, you know, the... uh, the people speak out about their traumas, about uh, Me Too and so on. And uh, that's what stands out for me, that uh, women are always waiting for the charming prince. Since you're very young, uh, you get to read uh, fairy tales. And uh, (coughs) it's kind of a propaganda that doesn't work today, but uh, it's so imprinted in ourselves that we don't even see it, you know? And also, it's part of our emancipation, men and women, that's very important that I speak about both. It's not a, a you know, manifesto for <laughs> feminists. I think it's we are both suffering from, from a fact that we have to reinvent uh, yeah, the way we envision relationships uh, because the old model uh, doesn't always work.
2: And people go on Tinder and they always want something better. They never yeah. know, you know, should I be satisfied or should I you know, find someone else?
0: Yeah, and you yeah, just yeah. keep scrolling. Yeah, exactly.
2: On your last solo record, you, you left out The Miss and you, and you became Kitten.
0: In fact, I realized that on, on our first EP in 96, my name on the record is yeah. Kitten. Oh, yeah. And then my first business card, I tried to have a business card when I started DJing. It was trendy to have a business card. It was also Kittin. But then promoters in France uh, put me in front of every female DJ and somehow... People started to call me Miss, 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 and I never got really rid of it until I realized that, uh, yeah, I don't know why I should still be a Miss at uh, 48 years old. I don't want to be a Miss anymore. I never wanted to be a Miss. And it's a way also to. Yeah
1: right now I remember like those parties in France especially <laughs> south of France yeah. I'm just thinking of, about it right now those stupid promoters like putting miss mm. on every girl's name yeah. miss this miss that miss blah blah miss she was so yeah
0: the only the only one that never got the miss was electric, electric indigo
1: she's <laughs> also uh,
0: no she, because she had a strong. name a name that was not uh, Has no genre. Uh, Uh,
2: How did Kitten come come about from the start? Where did you get that?
0: It's kick into something. Kitten. Kick into something.
1: Good lad. Ah, voilà. C'est ça.
0: Déjà (laughs) à l'époque. It's a kick (laughs) with big boots. uh, And of course, yeah, my mother uh, always uh, called me uh, in French, uh, Kitten so it was a, a uh, yeah like a good kick but people miss barely still as kitten but no <laughs>
2: what, what, what about hacker were you like a hacker for real or no. was it from the jeff milts track yeah, of course <laughs> no no
1: i'm not uh, it was you have to put that back in context was the early nineties. So being, a, I actually, I didn't really care about being a hacker. I didn't even know what it really meant, but it's just this Jeff Mills track and- Oh, Jeff Mills, Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh because before that I was in a band, a duo, making like hardcore techno and we split. And then I had to find, it was cool to have a name back then, like a name, you know? And so, I was a, already a big Jeff Mills fan and I had this, it's on his first album from Transmission, volume one and there is this track called Hacker, The Hacker and, uh, and I was like, yeah, it sounds good, sounds cool sounds mysterious and blah, blah, blah It but,
0: still sounds cool Yeah,
1: but uh, I don't know I should, oh, good, no, it's okay. good, it's good Let's listen to it Yeah, it's pretty hard
3: a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com
2: you were both involved in the techno scene in, in, in france in the 90s I remember there being like a real hostility towards electronic music mm-hmm. in France, which there was in the UK and Sweden as well. People were talking about how many drugs there were. But um, what are your most vivid memories from that time?
1: Uh, the police caught me. Yeah. They did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were. I was actually, Caroline was in a, in another. There was like, there were like two crew, let's say, organizing uh, raves uh, in the early 90s in Grenoble. I was, me, I was part of a crew named Atomage. Mm. And Caroline was kind of in a uh, swift turtle, you know, with the art Yeah, people. but we it, Not really. No, but, no, but we were yeah. not
0: organizing. We were, we were. Me, I was, you were organizing? Yeah, I was
1: part of it. And I was, yeah. um, and then uh, we did one in the forest and we didn't know that this, particular forest spot was like protected and uh, the police came like a national park kind of yeah yeah. and so the police came and they caught me and uh, Jeff a friend of mine and we went to the police station for several hours and then they caught me a second time I mean they not really caught me but they stopped a big rave and I was here again playing <laughs> and I went, two, so I went two times at the police station. So, so, so this was real, you know, we had to pay for a, 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 a fine, a fee, a fee. Yeah, fine. So I didn't, they didn't put me in jail or what, but still, uh, so it was a real uh, thing. And many times we had parties canceled by the police and stuff like that, but it was the early, not the early, but the mid 90s, the repression was very strong. So yeah. that was Infos.
2: before there was like an internet that people actually used.
1: Cool. How, how yeah, did yeah. you
2: did you have to like phone secret phone
1: yeah. numbers? Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. You have an yeah. info line yeah. in and record stores. In record stores, yeah.
0: You had flyers with mm. a number. You would call. Usually, it was like a public phone, mm. uh, like a cabin, you know. And uh, there was a, or an answering machine saying, uh, "Let's meeting, meeting uh, at." Uh, yeah. From eleven till two
1: at this gas station in the middle of nowhere, and then follow the yeah,
0: or the parking (laughs) of a super uh, hypermarket Mm. uh, in the suburbs, or an exit of a highway, and then there were cars and cars and cars, and you would have to wait for the leader, the who would uh, then bring you to the to to the the secret location. That was. So exciting! We 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 loved it. Yeah, uh, it was part of
1: the uh, the whole the driving, the looking for the, the 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 party, and then when you found it, you can hear the sound from far and away, and you're mm, getting mm, so excited
0: mm, to have excited. drove yeah. so long, and it was part of the the, oh, experience, yeah, the experience of freedom. of mm. Was amazing.
2: I once spoke to Gab Delgado Lopez from uh, DAF mm-hmm. Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, and he had this theory that. France was more conservative with electronic music than other countries because once, uh, yeah. according to him, uh, the, the socialist French newspaper L'Humanité once described DAF as fascist fuckers.
1: Yeah, and I know I know the story. Uh, actually, Robert Gore told me this story, but. Uh, I mean, I was young, but during the 80s, I was too young to go out and everything. But I still have the, the magazine from that time, and there were the French music uh, magazines. They were they were really against electronic music. So they didn't like, Depeche Mode. like they the Peshmod. They didn't you, like
2: even rock and folk and those. Like, yeah, of course, magazines. That's, what,
1: that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Those magazines. The big I, ones. I remember the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were like. Uh, saying that, yeah, electronic it's music, it's, music, it's not music, blah, blah, blah. And even a big band like Depeche Mode, it took years for them to be recognized as a as a main uh, act, you know. So, of course, a band like DAF, but Front 242 are the same, Nizereb, they, and, they, and They didn't understand the imagery, so for them, it was like uh, fascist, uh, blah, blah, blah. But they, f- anyway, yes, f- French magazines. They were really, uh, it, and and it's the same people who disliked, who said that techno was not music, and techno was, uh, again, uh, fascist music for gay people on drugs, selling drugs. That was...
2: Fascist music for gay people yeah, on exactly. drugs. exactly. What's it's not to like? Yeah, no, but it,
3: <laughs> it's, uh, it's
2: exactly what we
3: have... Totally antinomic, yeah, right?
1: because we didn't know what they were talking about, you know, and uh, it's the same people who who dislike the electronic music in the 80s, who also dislike. Uh, techno and rave culture when it arrived, when it happened uh, in the early 90s. So yeah, uh, Gabi was right, uh, totally. It's,
0: it's very representative of, in a way, of a certain French spirit, very attached to traditions, yeah. to what they created, and everything that comes from abroad, they reject it, you know? And Especially
1: with the music, French, We there was always a kind of, Uh, I don't know how to say, but uh, you know, about electronic music in the eighties and even later, French people wanted to be rock, you know, guitars, but we are the worst for that. (laughs) (laughs) We are good. We are good. French people. We are good in chansons, you know, chansons like uh, old Jacques Brel, Serge Gainsbourg, blah, blah, blah. We are good for this. And we are good for dance music. Disco in the seventies, and techno in the 90s we are not good for rock and all those rock people they are they were the people who were uh, in the main uh, media and and magazines so that's why they were always saying yeah this is shit it's not good blah 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 but then again when daft punk you know Run when through. so big they had they just had to uh, surrender. to surrender <laughs> yeah exactly yes you're the, you're you're better and and it was something typically french we were not trying to copy the british or the americans it oh, it was our own thing so yeah we are they were wrong we are right <laughs> <laughs> This is Hypnotist, House is Mine. It's a rave classic uh, that we heard like so many times. And
0: we still play.
1: And we still play it, yeah.
2: guys first meet the very first meeting
1: I don't
2: uh, even remember I think it was in a club
1: uh, a club that used to be a, a new F club uh, in Grenoble called Le Magique but then they changed the name it, called, it was called <laughs> Factory <laughs> like every techno club in the early 90s and, um, and uh, I think that's where we met I think uh, around 91 or something like that yeah
0: yeah, and we then we went to our first uh, rave party together because some DJs who came to that factory club, the first like techno DJs, they gave us flyers. First time we saw fli- a flyer, they were like, uh, "Yeah, we do a rave uh, in a city nearby in next month. A rave. What is that? Oh, you have to come. Okay. So we we were maybe ten people." And friends um, in two cars who drove to that rave. So it's basically our first rave party experience was in a smaller city, mm-hmm. not Ex-Libre. that far, and uh, we were blown away. And then we, after that, we were so blown away we couldn't go home. So we went to an after hour in a small village, and it was election day. Yeah. So there was like the small village, there was a little city hall, which was basically a house. And under the city hall, there was like twice the size of your living room. (laughs) There was this dancing and people dancing on repetitive music while while all people were voting just the floor on the main floor. And they would hear this crazy music they've never heard before come down and see crazy kids with a strobe <laughs> dancing like maniacs, imagine. Yeah. It must have appeared to them like a mental yeah. institution. <laughs> and we stayed in this place yeah. for hours, and I think I, I, we came back um, Late later. Like I think I arrived home, it was after 8 uh, p.m., because my mom was working in an election office and she just uh, screamed because I didn't vote. I didn't go vote, I arrived too late because offices like a bureau close at eight. And she, she gave me such a hard time. I packed some stuff and I, I left home. She got that angry. exact same day.
2: Did she want you to vote for like a special candidate or was it just, you know, your lack of voting that got her upset?
0: Yeah, my lack of voting, but more, I think she was very involved in politics, my mom. And uh, she was ashamed that as a, you know, a political involved person, her own daughter didn't show up but I couldn't explain her what I just experienced. It was like two worlds. And also like, I was very rebellious at the time. And uh, I said, you know what, I bother you, I'm gonna take my stuff and I'm leaving. So I went to live with a friend for a couple of years and it it was the only (laughs) private flat that we had around. So Michel and all the friends often came to this apartment to listen to Belgian yeah, DJ yeah. tapes. And, and, and there we started really going to every single rave.
2: Have mm. you always been just friends or have you ever been like a couple? Never. Always friends, no, no. Not a
1: couple. We're never, never a couple,
0: happened. never. Oops. No, we, I think we are two different, but that's our strength that we are so different? I think,
1: yeah, because in music, there, 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 was a, there were a lot of couples making music, but when the couple end, the music end, like Eurythmics. It's like Sonic Youth or yeah, Eurythmics. Yeah, Eurythmics, when they were together, the music was great. When they split, something was gone, you know? So we are protected from that.
0: Yeah, and also oh. we started making music because basically I, I needed him. I was asked to do a compilation, a track for a compilation. He was the only one I knew who had machines. And then, so our collaboration started from like joining forces somehow, but not because of a relationship. And I think we we kept that all the way. We still need each other, which is great, you know?
2: You were a ballet dancer for almost your entire childhood.
0: It's another obsession of my mother. Uh, yeah,
2: politics we, and ballet.
0: No, my, I think she will never listen to that show. So I can I can tell. But she, I think my mom always had like uh, bourgeois uh, ambitions. While we grew up in social buildings, so she was always hanging around kind of French bourgeoisie. So being in politics was a way to. To hang, hang out with uh, local, you know, rich people. I think she wanted to meet like a doctor or someone in politics to elevate socially, but of course never happened. <laughs> 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 so she put me in ballet <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did. I did for 17 years. 17 pre- years. Yeah.
2: But, but did, you, did you enjoy it?
0: Yeah, because I, I think too much. So having to focus on something that precise really helped canalize my energy. And also they, they forced me, the discipline was really hard. And they forced me to go like twice a week or three times a week until I was uh, 22. I kept on going until I was 22, so sometimes, like we were went to raves, and I was still doing ballet, which is crazy. I never Yeah, it's hard to imagine, that.
2: you know, two styles of dancing that are more different than like rave moves yeah, and ballet.
0: Believe me, I was a, I was, I was a punk bal- ballet ballerina. <laughs> you, you were know? a punk
2: ballerina. I <laughs> was
0: smoking. I cut my hair. I was not flexible, so I could never do like the the super extravagant moves, but I I was strong. I could turn and stuff. (laughs) I was strong on points. But uh, yeah, but it represents well the the fact that you can do something that conservative and still be completely uh, um, punk in a way. It represents me very well, actually. You know, I have both sides. I like to fuck things from inside. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somehow.
2: Michelle, did your parents want you to do something else than music, or ballet? did they like like ballet? <laughs> not necessarily uh, ballet. Not
1: ballet. No, uh, <laughs> not really. I think um, no. They were my parents are really cool because I, I I'm coming from a. Uh, let's say, working-class environment, not a rich family. And I, I remember when I decided to stop uh, going at the university and, and make music as a living. Yeah, <laughs> said de la triclos. Yeah. I was inhalating so a, a lot of solvents back then. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: He was very punk. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was kind of. But uh, no, but when I said to my parents, I want to make music, I will always remember my father and my mother telling me, okay, you can stay at home, you can stay here. We don't, you know, put you out, but you have to, if you want to go out, if you want to buy your clothes and things and blah, 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 you have to work, you know? So, so I was like, yeah, but they were really, yeah. They were cool. They were they really, are really cool. cool. Not when like, I,
2: did you have any day jobs in the beginning? I had a lot. You know,
1: but I'm 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 lazy, so I was like oh, I was just working for the amount of money I needed. So I was working like one month here and then for six months nothing. And then again one month so, so, but so I did everything. I, I worked in restaurants in, in I was selling Christmas tree. I went uh, to visit yeah. him when he's
0: <laughs> actually
1: <laughs> selling Christmas tree is the <laughs> is the last real job I did before we, we, <laughs> we, we, we made a living with music. Were you good at it? So, uh, not really, no. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Well, yeah.
2: what, what are the like most necessary <laughs> skills that you need as a Christmas tree seller? You have to
1: speak to people, and for me back then it was difficult to speak to, you know, people like selling a tree. I didn't care. I was like, uh, "Are you selling Christmas tree?" Yes, I am. You, there is like trees everywhere. What do you think I'm doing here? You know, I was not a good seller. Not yeah, really. I, good. I remember
0: <laughs> where people were like what do you think this one or that one isn't this one like more fluffy or and he was like yeah, it's uh, a fucking Christmas a tree. tree you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but it's a and good then, school you know, you, you know I had to a nail yeah. like th- th- not a lot the... of people know that but yeah I was uh, I did sell Christmas tree yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is uh, Sabres of Paradise, Smoked Bletch, in memory of Andrew Weatherall.
2: Work with
1: him at any Point? Oh, uh, we met him, but many times. And who? But, well, but uh, I never worked, no. I mean, me, never.
0: No, we never worked together, but he's so vivid in my memories because the thing is, I moved to Geneva just about when we released Frank Sinatra, like 96. And my friends in geneva were obsessed with uk music warp all that stuff and their god was andrew weatherworld but andrew didn't want to to fly at that time he was scared of flying and finally for some reason he said yes okay i'm coming so it was like revolution in town andrew is finally coming and this party was incredible really like i'll never forget that night and the next day so my boyfriend had a record store where where i was also working and we just released frank sinatra so he asked me to take care of andrew and his agent take them for lunch so i spent the afternoon with andrew and then i had a gig like a small gig somewhere so we drove together to the airport And I had to to board before him, so I said, uh, "Nice meeting you." I have to go. He's like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Yeah, well, I'm have a gig." Oh, you're a DJ? Yes. uh, What's your name? And he flipped out. The girl from like uh, the Frank Sinatra track. Oh my god! And for us, like when I told Michelle as well to. To have such uh, f- feedback so early, we, we never imagined people knew these records, you know. It was like the real beginning of, uh, of our uh, popularity in a way, you know.
2: I remember watching this interview with you once, Kitten, where someone asked you which requests annoyed you the most. And you said, Frank Sinatra.
0: <laughs> of course, till now. Still now, it, it's, <laughs> we, of course, everybody dreams to write a track that stays in history and we are very grateful for that. But we, we remind ourselves, we are DJs and we play the f- what the fuck we want. And if we don't want to play this track, it's our right. We, we love to please people, but uh, we also like to please ourselves. So, yeah, at the moment we don't really play it and it's fine.
2: It's, yeah. so, it's funny because it kind of reminds me of the real Frank Sinatra and how he hated singing My Way. Um, yeah. You know, everyone would ask him for it. And he, there there are recordings where he he introduces the song by saying, and of course, the time comes now for the torturous moment, <laughs> not for you, but for me. Another time he just said, "I hate this song. I got it up to here with this goddamn song." Mm. So he you know that it's a French song. Yes, uh, comme, uh, d'habitude. Comme,
0: comme d'habitude, C- Claude François, Claude François. Claude François.
2: François
1: yeah. who is not the best French oh. singer we had. But,
2: anyway. but also, I think Bowie tried to like translate it, and that became "Life on Mars." Or he, he, yeah. he wasn't allowed to do it, and then he wrote "Life on Mars" as Life on Mars his is version of it,
1: way better yeah. than "Comme d'habitude." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it's a, when you have a song like this, it's cool. And it, it is it's, sometimes I go through different feelings, p- feelings with this song. Sometimes I, I like it and I play it in DJ set. Then I, sometimes I'm bored and then I like it again. It just comes and go. But for the tour we are doing now, it, it just doesn't fit with the the set. So maybe tonight we will play. We'll see. But it doesn't really fit with the it, new. It's so we aged. need. A, yeah, it aged. Some old yeah. tracks didn't age, like Life on MTV. I love this song. It didn't age, I think. But Frank Sinatra really stands out, in a, sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a bad way. And I think right now, maybe we need a new version it's or something. It's too much of a joke. It's, it's a bit too, too kitsch. I,
2: I yeah. remember seeing you guys at the Arvika Festival in yeah. 2002. and when you, I think Frank Sinatra was the last track. And when you introduced it, you said something about you know how fame... And wealth and being rich was completely, you know, unimportant. But <laughs> like, don't take this song at face value. And yeah, I'll, I yeah. always assumed that it was, you know, a very obvious satire. Of course, um, but yeah, it was as if, for, you, you, not you know, when, for when you, when, everybody. When you said that, it was as yeah. if you know people took the song at face value, but yeah. the they completely misunderstood. But, but a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people.
1: Uh, Yeah, took it like at the first uh, how do you say level?
0: Because they want to believe that it's an odd to their own beliefs. They they are too uh, obsessed with their their obsessions (laughs) to realize it's it's a critic, you know. And it really comes back from the time we were partying in the woods. I remember like it was raining it was cold but we were never that happy and i imagine guys or girls in full of money somewhere and uh, trying to party trying with no friends trying to pay people to party with them and we were that where we were having fun was not uh, in, in VIPs and coke it was in a forest and, the, and then
1: in the end the joke was on us because I remember a drive when we were playing in New York from the airport to the hotel we were playing and I was in a limo <laughs> with champagne going to an hotel and I was like okay this is it I'm living the, not the dream, but, so, but as we did this song. You were
2: living the nightmare, you know.
1: It was out. not yeah, a nightmare, let's be honest. The it's prophecy, a um, you know, Yeah, it was a prophecy. Paid, <laughs> paid
0: back. But it
1: was not, it was okay, <laughs> but it was funny. And we were aware of that, mm. you know, as we, we did this song before. And then suddenly we are living what we were thinking about. But we, you know what I mean? So it was a strange. And
0: the irony but, is to perform the song, yeah. like to take the piece, of the actual mm. audience who praise yeah. what we are saying against but them. It's when we
1: were going through this, insane. this phase yeah. of of fame that lasted for like 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> and I was very, very aware of that. And, and I was always thinking, I remember, enjoy, take what you can, because it won't last and it didn't. But I was very conscious of that. So I think that's why... We never got—I uh, don't know how do you say tête uh, in English. Uh, we never went like uh, uh, megalo or crazy mm. because me. I was always very conscious of it won't and it won't also last forever. We,
0: we never really liked that. It it was never the best parties. Oh, I, like, I liked it. You, you, you know, liked it. <laughs> it?
2: <laughs> yeah, it <was> People <laughs> reacting that way kind of reminds me of I once spoke to Bret Easton Ellis, the, the writer, and he, t- he told me that. Wall Street guys will walk up to him and go, oh, thank you for writing American Psycho. It no made way. me want to become a stockbroker. Mm. He's like, no, no, that was not <laughs> the point.
0: Go yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he should have said. Like,
1: But it's it's this kind of situation. I said I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I was aware of it, of what was happening. So I didn't fall in all the traps that you can fall into when you, are, you, are, you have a little bit of success. So that's, yeah, I was...
2: It was fun. But when you first wrote the track, you didn't know that Frank Sinatra was alive. No. Right? <laughs> he, no. He, he was still alive. He was I, still alive. I, I just picked yeah. Frank Sinatra
0: because it rhymed I, with Grey yeah. Area, by the way.
2: yeah, It doesn't really area. rhyme. Well, in a French accent, it does rhyme. That's what's mm. beautiful about mm. the song. You know, mm. someone like Serge Gainsbourg would be mm. so proud of that rhyme. Maybe. 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 It, it's, it's like a tribute to the French language.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it rhymes. Area, Frank Sinatra. But he died, he died
1: uh, not a long time uh, just yeah. after this May, song.
0: And I said, yeah, I fuck fucking killed him maybe <laughs> <But> <laughs> we, we liked it. him <laughs> but
2: I, I remember this song by you remember LA Style James Brown is Dead of course yeah. which, which came out great. in 1992 when mm. James Brown was can very much alive can we play
0: it now let's <laughs> listen to LA Style
2: <laughs> yeah but not the rap version
3: James Brown is dead
1: <laughs>
2: been DJing for decades what are your like worst memories from clubs or or parties when people have been really annoying
1: Uh, must be somewhere in in the 90s in the south of France for sure I don't know no worst sometimes you have like technical condition who are like a nightmare sometimes it's the people who doesn't they don't get your music, so but I don't uh right like pull the gun I, on me no, or I rem- something like that. Ah, no. Not me. I, but to talk <laughs> about
0: Frank Sinatra, remember when I just remember that now, but we played in, in Istanbul and yeah. there was this gay guy, hysterical, there were a lot of hysterical gay guys who were just constantly screaming. screaming. Like you are performing, you, you try to focus and you have one guy ruining your performance for like hundreds or thousands of people. And he was like, Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra! nonstop for like minutes. And then I stopped the music. I, re- I freaked out <laughs> because I was tired. It was the end of our never ending tour. Yeah. And I, I went to, to, really, I stopped the music. I went in front of him and I screamed in his face like, "Get the <laughs> fuck out of here!" And he he, he 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 just froze and started crying because I just scared no, him to he, death. He was
1: like constantly screaming.
0: Yeah, Frank
1: Sinatra, Frank Sinatra.
0: Okay, yeah, you can say
1: non-stop. it once, two times. It was like nonstop. Even me, I was annoyed because I was. I was we were playing live.
0: Yeah. We were playing. And I like, was
1: like, "Please relax. We are going to play." It, you, you can't know. sing. Yeah, no. You have
0: a guy screaming at you, like for, and sometimes, in fact, um, that's the most difficult thing when you are a DJ or a performer. It's to, it's to ignore the one person yeah. that wants to catch your attention because if you surrender, he wins. Mm. And you don't pay respect and if you do to it all it once, the people.
1: There is always one person who doesn't like what you're doing or or, or asking for something. And even if there is like 5,000 people, when you turn your head, you always, you know, uh, fall. Uh, you watch this person who is annoying you. Always, always. Well, That's... I don't know why. But they win but
0: <laughs> if you give them attention yeah. because basically if they are here, it's because they like your music. Yeah. So they use negativity to catch your attention, which is completely uh, wrong. You just have to... Sometimes I, when people really annoy me like this when I play, because it happens, there is always one selfish person who doesn't care about... The great party you're having. Just thinking about his own desire to talk to you, get a little bit of your time. I just answer. I know you exist. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I know oh, you're yeah. here. I know you exist. Calm down. I see you. You know so.
2: Michelle, you were almost like a mentor to Mike Levi, Gessaffenstein uh, yeah. do, do you still work with him?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah we are. Uh, we are always in touch and uh it must
2: have been like 15 or 16 when you first met
1: no it was it was young but it was not that young he was like 18 something like that and uh yeah we are still in touch we i we did a track together for his last Not his last, but the album he released uh, three or four years ago. And uh, we did some tracks together a few months ago. We don't know, like four tracks. We don't know what we're going to do with those tracks. But yeah, we are still in touch. And uh, he's a friend, you know, it's not just like a... uh, He's, yeah, a friend, close friend. Did
2: you give him advice on how to, like, take care of his uh, career? uh, Because he seems to have been trying to avoid... Like extreme fame in yeah. some ways. I
1: don't know. It's not really advice. Advice is we talk about it, and uh, I know. He, I don't know if he, he, does, he doesn't really listen to anybody, but he always asks me what do you think of that, and then he made his own decision. But now he's, he's doing his own thing, you know. But um, he's a he's a nice guy and he's very clever, very smart. So I'm not too worried for him.
2: I remember. I once went to see him DJ and he he put on a yours great track "Flesh and Bone" oh, yeah. halfway <laughs> through the set <laughs> yeah. which, and everyone just went crazy. It's a good track. Do, yeah. do you still play it live with you on vocals? Because no. that worked really well. Not ah, this time. Not this
1: time. But that's that's maybe. That's a good. Uh, we didn't think about it actually. Why n- maybe later. Why we not? We still
0: have the live. The version. lyrics are
1: complicated. Yeah. To to remember. I, it it <laughs> yeah. took
0: me a lot of time to mm. do do this song right, mm. and also because but, uh, uh, yeah. Perspect is doing it so well.
1: Yeah, Jan Clark, who, who 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 wrote the original lyrics and and sang it.
0: I had to sing yeah. one octave uh, higher. Yeah. Because it's very but low. But maybe
2: we, we could we could do it. Yeah. How did you, you know, write the lyrics for your, your track and Kitten that you did with Golden Boy? <laughs> they were inspired by the Misfits, right?
0: By um, a sticker of the Misfits that my Finnish from Finland, my uh, cousin, my metal punk cousin from Finland offered me, <laughs> yes. So yeah. their
2: their track was called Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? And you sang Daddy, Can I yeah. Go Out and Kill Tonight? Did... did the Misfits, or even Glenn Danzig himself, react to your song and any anyway. No, no,
0: no. It's never, and it's just the the line is great. But I somehow I <clears throat> I stole a lot of lines to other people and <clears throat> transformed it. Like for example, uh, this other tr- track, Requiem for a Hit. I beat that bitch with a hit. It's, it's stolen from Johnny Dangerous. I beat that bitch with a bat. And I know he was very upset that I stole his line. But I'm a woman. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? You cannot say I beat that bitch with a bat uh, like a fun thing. I have the right to use your fucking line and turn it into something. And I'm not giving you money for that. You know? So... At the time I felt really guilty and then with, with time I realized that it was well deserved. <laughs> so, you always get inspired by someone, but then uh, the great thing is, can you take it further? Can you uh, bring it uh, to something else, your thing? This is music, this is art. We all do that. Michel gets inspired by by people. A note, a sample from somebody. So yeah, it happens to me too.
1: So yeah, uh, April 14th from uh, AFIX Twin, as it is today or yesterday, I don't know.
2: It is April 14th.
1: Today, so that's the right track.
0: It's like, necessary. It's a necessary artist and necessary music in our life. We can't live without.
1: Talking about, just before we were talking about, you know, inspiration and things like that. And on my phone, I listen to music on my phone now when I travel and blah, blah, blah. And I have all the, it's funny, in my phone, I have the albums that I have at home on tape. Records, CD, and uh, digital, you know, I buy them, like, in all formats. Anyway, and so I have the Polygon Window, uh, something on, sidewave, on Sinewave.
2: Which was one of Atox Twin's pseudonyms. One of the yeah. first
1: uh, on WAP, and I was listening to this album uh, two weeks ago, and I was like, wow, I stole everything. I mean, I stole, I don't know if I stole, but I, 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 can, I can recognize all every tracks, I, this and this influenced me for this track. So it's a, yeah, mm. it's a very especially this album for me is very uh, important, and, and it didn't genius. age. It's from ninety what ninety one ninety two, and it, and you can still listen to this day and it's it's mm. good.
2: You know, speaking of classics, how much mm. do you listen to the songs that you mention in your famous track nineteen eighty two?
0: Chose, uh, not you know.
2: so much anymore because it's it's big hits, you
1: know.
0: the really
2: so, big hits, right? Yeah, don't really, go, just hinted enough. Actually, the love.
1: it's the only song where where we wrote lyrics together. Mm. But all the songs, of course, are great, but uh, I don't really listen to the, those songs anymore because, it's too, I mean,
2: it's everywhere yeah. on the radio, blah, blah, blah.
1: But it's good songs, of course.
2: I, I remember dancing to that song when you played an Arvika in 2002. Yeah. And then I, I listened to... The same track like just a few days ago, and it was such a you know mindfuck because I realized that <laughs> 2002 is as far back now as 1982 <laughs> was in 2002. Know, 1982 is 40 years ago, 40 years ago and yeah. I felt this tremendous like fear of aging and death and everything. I not
1: escape it. I'm turning 50 at the end of the year, so am I. What happened? Where were I? What, what happened? You know, yeah, you're just no, standing
2: dancing, prochaine. and then all of a sudden no, this you're year. You hit 15.
1: This year. 2022, yeah, 22. I'm oh. 50 in December.
2: Wow. W- which day in December are you born? 21st. I'm born on the 22nd mm. of December, oh. 1972. Uh,
1: so wow. I'm older than you
2: one day.
0: One yeah. day. <laughs> Crazy. That's insane.
2: What plans do you have for this year?
0: My my most urgent plan is to, to succeed in Finding the rhythm that fits to me. Because before COVID, we were really busy solo. Uh, COVID, there was nothing. And I think our album and this project really kept me going and gave me hope. And now we are back into a heavy schedule. But my life has changed. You know, I, I love my life during the week. I have many things to do, like <laughs> take care of a house. And if I if I don't have these days at home to do what I have to do, this rich private life, I won't be able to keep the rhythm to deliver good performances. So the goal is to continue play great sets with Michelle, like we have great gigs, and keep my, my weeks at home to, for my my real life, in a way. that That's really my goal.
2: I thought by rhythm that you meant, like, which BPM fits you <laughs> the, the best, because I, I just discovered the other day that my my like my favorite rhythm, my favorite BPM is 100. Wow, that, slow. It's pretty slow. Yeah. But I, I, I listened to this Ukrainian techno producer called Ship Her Son, and he did a track called Gott, like God in, in German. Mm which is, um, I'll play it.
1: But we really have to go, sorry.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to have had you here. Thank you so much for coming Thank you. over. Thank and you. good luck with everything. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So much. Thank yeah. you for all your great songs.
0: Thank you.